0: Father's Day. I got my cake.
1: Oh my God! Happy Father's Day! <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Dead Return, a monster attacks, and a guy turns into a plant as a horror comic book comes to life. Special ghost, I mean guest, Joanna Brief, joins us as we discuss wearable VCRs, Batman fighting drug dealers, and when Ted's head turns red. Then we find out if 1982's creep show stands the test of time. It's the test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Says,
1: as a father, blah blah. It's
2: the test of time, James and Allen have to say. The movies you love still hold up today. The test of time, James and Allen have to say. The movies you love still hold up today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time. Our episodes are all special, but this one's especially special because we have my sister, Joanna Briefon, for I think it's the sixth time. It is. Hey, Super six.
0: Hey. Woo! Hi.
2: And as always, we have my co-host, our director,
1: Alan Noah. Hi, that's me. And Joanna, this is your sixth time here, but your first Halloween Spooktacular. I'm so excited, you guys. It's exciting to have you back. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And today we are talking about creep show for our Halloween episode. Are you a big Halloween person, Joanna?
0: Not really. I mean Halloween's cool. I've always liked this time of year. But no, not
1: especially. How about you? Yeah, I I like to dress up. I usually do something with the kids. Courtney and I used to do couples' costumes all the time. I get into it. And what about this year? What are your plans and what is your costume? So my daughter got really into Stranger Things this year. So we are doing a Stranger Things theme. My daughter is going to be Max. I am going to be 11. And Courtney is going to be Chrissy. So that this is all season four, like season four, episode one, two. It's a very specific part of Stranger Things. Do you watch Stranger Things? I I watched the first season, and I really liked it.
2: Okay, and and you too, right, James? That's exactly the same thing. I watched the first season. I liked it, but it's not something you had to get to the next season. Or I think it was just that it was a couple years after the first one. You know what it was? Stranger Things was like Orange is the New Black. It was like one of the first uh, original series on Netflix, so you watched it, you know? It happened to be good, but by the time the second season came out, there was a lot of stuff out, and... I guess it just fell by the wayside. It's something I guess you could always just catch up on, right? You could,
1: and not to say that you're wrong, because I totally understand where you're coming from, but Netflix just released, like, their new numbers, their subscriber numbers, and they were way up. And part of the reason that they gave was the new season of Stranger Things that people were watching this summer. But, I mean, you're right. There are long gaps between the seasons, and then you can fall out of it and just watch something else. But, um... I think the costumes are pretty good. I think if you watch Stranger Things, and if you've watched this season, you'll get it right away. And, of course, my son Eli is doing something completely unrelated. He has no interest in doing, like, a family costume because he's 12 and way too cool for anything that lame. Yeah, at 12, he's doing his own thing. Right, 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 right. Okay, so you picked Creepshow. What is your relationship with this movie? I wanted to do this, I think, three... Halloween's ago. Okay.
0: Because I have not thought about this movie in decades. And then randomly I looked up what was showing during the month of Halloween at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers. Okay. And have you ever been to Alamo
1: Draft House? I have not. And story that you'll appreciate they are doing a screening of weird the new weird owl movie it was like a free screening i had a reminder of my calendar i was like gonna get those tickets and they sold out instantly and i did not get them and i was very disappointed but if i had gotten those tickets that would have been my first time and uh i didn't get them so no i have not been and i am not planning to go anytime soon bastards
0: Yeah. They have special nights once in a while. There was a screening three Octobers ago of Creepshow. Okay. And there was some speakers beforehand talking about the history of it or whatever. And I had not thought about this movie in years. So I went with a bunch of people who had never seen it. uh, And you know that it's a horror anthology, which was a thing at the time. And I don't remember most of the sketches, but the ones I do remember the most, which I have... A lot of thoughts and feelings about which we'll get into are the Stephen King one and the Leslie Nielsen one. Uh, but I remember having an affection for this movie as a child. I have memories of watching it with my brothers and I have a memory of being viscerally scared of this movie.
1: And I should point out that your dog Piglet is here. So if uh, listeners hear a little, her clicking, yeah, the clicking, Pause. the jingling. Hi, Piggy. She's adorable. She's being very, very good. A little naughty. No, she's fine. Okay, so you've seen this movie too
2: then, James? I have. I have not seen this film in easily 30 years. Gotcha. Well, this was my first time. I had never seen it before.
1: I'd heard of it, but never really had any strong desire to see it. But if you haven't seen it, it's made up of five short stories inspired by pulp horror comic books from the 1950s. The movie is directed by George A. Romero and written by Stephen King, so the stories have a supernatural twist. In the first story, a man comes back from the dead to get revenge on his family. In the second story, a meteor infects a farmer who touches it. In the third, a madman buries his wife's lover alive. In the fourth, an arctic monster starts eating people. And in the fifth story, cockroaches attack a man who is afraid of bugs. When this movie came out 40 years ago in 1982, how did it do at the box office, James?
2: It did pretty well. Um, I was reading uh, about the history of the release of this film. And it was released in 1982, November 12th, 1982. Weird. And you would think a movie like this would be more of an October film because of Halloween... And that year, there was a film, Halloween 3: Season of the Witch. Uh-huh. It's kind of a notorious film because it was one of the first films that was a sequel that had nothing to do with the previous films. That today, you know, you see this stuff all the time. They kind of just buy the rights to it and just put a sequel on it and whatever. But uh, they couldn't compete with Halloween 3 because the first two films were very successful. But they figured that film was going to crash and burn quickly. So they released this film in early November. September, and actually did pretty well. The film was budgeted at $8 million and it opened at number one on November twelfth, 1982 with $5.8 million. And it wound up being $21 million domestically. And it did well enough to spawn a sequel uh, back in the 80s. And eventually there was a Creepshow 3 a couple of years ago and a Creepshow series, but those are far removed. But um, the film, actually, I happened to see that on Box Office Mojo. It ranked it as the number three horror anthology of all time. Really? Yeah, and I'm sure we'll review the number one film on this horror anthology... uh, List One, because it's a famous name, but also probably because the uh, famous behind-the-scenes story behind it. Can you guess what I'm talking about? Uh, The
1: Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, Yeah, Twilight
2: Zone, colon, the movie, to use proper Alan Noah terminology. Okay. Number two is actually shocking because Twilight Zone, the movie, it only made $29 million. And the number two film, it's from this century, and it didn't even beat Twilight Zone. And it's a horror anthology, technically.
1: Was it... Grindhouse, that was uh, Death Proof, and what was the other one? Uh, It was like two movies. It was like Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino.
2: Yes, it was that. So Grindhouse is uh, two. Okay. Coming in number five is Creepshow 2. Number six is one that Joanna and I definitely remember this one. It was another uh, Stephen King anthology of horror films. Do you remember what it's called? Cat's Eye. Cat's Eye. Terrifying. Have you ever heard of this, Al? No. This, I believe, was not supernatural. It was things like there was a guy trying to quit smoking. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, par- he was getting, like, shocks. Scaring. Then there was one I remember about a man. He was forced to walk around the, like, two-inch ledge of his high-rise apartment <gasps> building. There was wind, and there's, like, a pigeon pecking at his ankles. And anyway, number seven, I do remember this film. I never saw it, but it was a movie called Tales from the Hood. Do you remember this one from the 90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think it was, like, uh, around the time that Tales from the Crypt was popular.
2: Yeah, I think so. And then number eight, Nightmares. And I don't remember any of the uh, uh, other stories in there, but there was one where there were these kids, and they were playing a video game at an arcade, and I loved video games, and the kids got sucked into the game. Now I can think of it almost like one of those vector graphics of a mouth that comes out of the screen and swallowed the kids, and I was absolutely terrified of this and i couldn't sleep at night because of it you mentioned the synopsis that this film is uh, directed by george a romero george romero getting together with stephen king this is a pretty fun combination it's kind of what you'd call by today's standards a little campy but this film is in the 80s based on these kind of cheesy uh, Tales from the Crypt kind of comic books that were really in the in the 50s. You know, every generation, there's the blank is rotting the youth of this generation. Back in the 50s, yeah, it could be Elvis, but also it was comic books, specifically uh, the horror comic books, which were seen as garbage. Have you ever seen on comics, they have this thing... Uh, it says in the upper corner, uh, or at least it used to, approved by the comics code. No. Basically, they had to self-censor themselves. Just like the record industry had to do the uh, parental advisory. They had to agree to make this label. There was this comics code that uh, you had to have certain things that the comic characters would and wouldn't do. They had to fight drug dealers or something, like Superman or Batman would have to like beat up a drug dealer every once in a while. Okay. and uh, These horror comics were kind of the reason that they had these morality uh, codes So that's what this film is And you kind of have to get that Because y- you have to understand that This is not supposed to be a straight up uh, horror movie You're supposed to understand that it's kind of cheesy And it's directly based on a comic book And the filmmaking and the cinematography Or I guess you maybe call it the editing Or the post-production Makes it really feel like a comic book Yeah, I definitely got
1: the comic book vibes I didn't
2: get that it was supposed to be campy
1: what's your relationship to horror i'm not a huge horror movie fan when i watch horror movies now i'm not really scared but like i'm creeped out a few years back courtney and i watched hereditary like that really freaked me out that like got in my head so yeah it's not like a genre i like really gravitate towards but you're more of a fan
0: I wouldn't consider myself a horror fan, but my dad also had us watch, probably at an inappropriately young age, movies like Psycho and The Shining and Creepshow, even though it came out when I was like five years old, uh, we saw it on video when I was a child. And even though it was intended to be incredibly over-the-top campy, It terrified me to my core as a child. So it was a really interesting experience watching it again as an adult, realizing how campy it is, but still channeling that horror I felt, very visceral horror, specifically to this movie as a child, more so than, like, I would say The Shining.
2: Just to clarify, you know, our dad did not show us these films. (laughs) I would say that in in the 80s, that's when Cable came out, and we had this amazing channel. You didn't have to go to the box office anymore, because there was a home box office. Huh? Yes, and we called it HBO for short. You might have seen these huge letters floating in space in the 80s, uh, HBO. Wouldn't your parents just tape everything
1: No, not really. My cousin Adam would do that. And my stepdad did. You know, I didn't meet him until I was 12 or 13 or something. But yeah, then when you had someone like that in the family, then it's great because, oh, you want that movie? Yeah, I have it. And it's like, you know, a a mini blockbuster in their apartment, basically.
2: Yeah, it's weird. My father um, was very strangely very tech forward in the 80s. He had uh, early camcorders that you had to drag like a VHS along with you to... But you wore it. The later ones in the late 80s and 90s, those the ones that the tape would go right into the camera. But this one, you had to drag along the VHS with you as well, like on a shoulder strap. Wait, you mean like a VCR? Uh yeah yes. yeah sorry, the v- VCR not the VHS sorry you had to strap an entire VCR player with you it was very weird whoa yeah and and he used to tape everything creep show was just one of those random tapes that we had
1: well speaking of dads the movie starts with a kid and his dad that sort of framed the whole story the kid is Stephen King's son in real life. And the dad is very anti his son reading these disgusting horror comics. And he throws it out. And the the dad is bragging to his wife that like he took care of business. And he says, that's why God made fathers, Fathers. babe. And it took me, I'm going to say, about 10 minutes in between me hearing that line in the movie and me saying that line to Courtney. (laughs) She was not impressed, obviously. But I did appreciate that line. But the first, like, main story in the movie is called Father's Day. And it's about a guy who comes back from the dead because he really, really wants dessert. Relatable. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, that that's a little, maybe a little over-exaggeration, but it's basically that the premise is, it's this rich family and the patriarch, which seems to be the source of all the money. He died, and everyone else seems to be living the good life now off of his money, and for some unexplained reason, he comes back from the dead and he keeps uh, demanding, I want my cake, which is in flashbacks we had seen he'd always, like, demanded. Well, he was
1: killed Because he was yelling at his daughter for the cake. She killed him because she was mad. I guess the reason he comes back is because she spills whiskey on his grave. Yeah. And so like that reanimates him.
0: But she killed her father because in a five second flashback, we learned that Bedelia had a lover and she was going to marry him and it was going to take her away from caretaking the father role. So the father had him killed in a hunting accident. So she was subjected to a life of caring for her miserable father. And then in a fit of rage, she killed him with that ashtray. It's too much plot.
1: Well, it's a ton of exposition. The story starts and then you meet these characters. And then right away, they're giving you 20 minutes of this entire family's backstory with murder and betrayal and everything. And I was like, how much backstory do we need For this story This story is all backstory All
0: we needed was Ed Harris
1: dancing (laughs) That's it I mean it also is kind of funny To your point that like Her dad killed her boyfriend And then you know she lived with that That was fine But then one day he was like I want my cake And she's like I'm gonna kill you I mean I guess it's like you know the straw that breaks the camel's back But like she put up with the murder of her boyfriend But like demanding the cake That was the straw Right exactly
2: you know, I remember the plot of most of these uh, stories. I did not remember this one at all, except for this one single image. It came back to me when I saw it. And I-, I kept wondering, why don't I remember this? Maybe I don't remember any of these at all. And once I saw the others, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I clearly remember these ones. The reason is, Al, because this first story, it sucks. And <laughs> I used to always basically... The nice thing about this film is that this would work great as a DVD because you could just skip the one you don't like. And, you know, on a VHS, it happens to work well that you could just start this film, you know, 35 minutes in and you don't miss anything. And it's interesting because I didn't remember the prologue. I remember that there was some kind of little story about a boy, I remembered the voodoo doll at the end, but I didn't remember what the beginning of the story was. And I realize now it's because I really have never seen the beginning because the beginning sucks. Exactly the same. I had no memory of it either. And the only single part of this whole story I remembered was, so when Ed Harris uh, goes after his girlfriend, he winds up tripping and he falls face up uh, in the shallow grave. And there is a huge tombstone. And it Harris is kind of like looking up and it slowly, very, very slowly eventually falls on top of his head and crushes him. But it's like 10 Mississippi and he doesn't like move at all. It's not like this is a six foot grave and you could almost anticipate, oh, the poor guy is paralyzed and this is even more terrifying as to watch his death. No, he like tripped. I remember being infuriated by that as a kid and it infuriated me today
1: yeah speaking of stupid stories the next one is a guy who touches a meteor a guy and, Al.
0: yeah not uh, just a guy I'm in sorry. this story just he's respect. just
1: a guy but played it, by jordy I mean, Veryl, you mean yes he's played by stephen king in this story he's just a guy and he turns into grass moss Excuse oh, me. Sorry. <laughs> A fern. A
2: fern. I don't even think either of you're right. I think it's just plants. It's meteor shit. <laughs> I mean, it's right. extraterrestrial vegetation. Yeah, so the, the basic story is very, very simple. I love Stephen it. Stephen King plays a very simple Maine uh, farmer, and one night a meteor crashes in his uh, backyard. And what do you do when you have a steaming hot meteor? You touch it with your bare hands. What do you do after it burns you? You also split it open and then let the blue liquid inside <laughs> getting in contact with your skin. And it's a very short story after this. It starts growing plants from like his finger where he touched the meteor, and that grows further and further. Everywhere this meteor touched is growing plants and uh, spreading further and further all over his body. Eventually, he turns into one huge walking plant. But did you watch this
1: with your kids? No, they had no interest. Eli was asking about Terrifier 2. That's like this new movie that apparently people are seeing in the movie theater and vomiting and passing out because it's so terrifying. He asked me if I wanted to watch that. I was like, Dear God, no, that sounds awful. I was like, Hey, I got this movie Creep Show. He's like, And he looked at the DVD. He's like, That looks awful.
2: Wait a second. They're vomiting <laughs> and passing out? Yeah. Wait. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think the that's doing that. I'm <laughs> <they're> vomiting. I'm <laughs> <laughs> into like, laugh. It's like, either or. Is, If this is someone's medical disorder, I'm not laughing at that. I'm just thinking of someone seeing something on the screen, vomiting, 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 and then they just pass out and there's vomit all over them in a theater scene. Is this what's happening? I think it's the other way around. I think they pass out and then vomit. I have no
1: idea. I don't know. I'm not going to see this in the theaters. How many times did you vomit watching Creepshow? Zero. The point is, at least it's like eliciting a scary response this i was just like what the fuck am i watching here there was one point when i kind of chuckled when he's getting into the bath and he looks at himself and he looks down in his penis exactly not there that kind of made me laugh but i was like none of this makes any sense although actually you said relatable about uh coming back from the dead for dessert he stuck his finger in his mouth. Like obviously that's a bad idea, but I did think that was relatable. I remember once many years ago, I cut my finger really, really badly. And my initial reaction was just to put my finger in my mouth. And then I ran into the bathroom. And the first thing I did was clean all the blood off my face because you know, it had just gotten on my face and that freaked me out.
2: But like that's relatable and it's a stupid thing. That's what you do do. exactly. I did laugh when he said that line Joanna mentioned meteor shit. Classic. (laughs) That was really and
0: then he went to he his fantasy was going to the Department of Meteors. Oh
2: my god, yes. So he ha- up he ha- at the college. He has his daydream that there's the aforementioned Department of Meteors, and they're gonna like award him with... Uh, 200 bucks. Well, he bargains his way up to $200, and then when he accidentally splits open the meteor, he has another daydream about how the same professor laughs in his face, because it's a, it's a damaged meteor. I wouldn't pay five cents for this meteor i was watching
0: (laughs) this sketch after all these years well in 2019 really it was the first time since i was a kid and then again last week and i remember when i watched it in the movie theater three years ago everybody was laughing and enjoying how goofy it was because it was meant to be incredibly dumb and goofy and i enjoyed it on that level too but i was reminded of how i felt watching it as a little kid and I can't imagine what it must be like seeing that sketch for the first time now as an adult. I can't really wrap my mind around how I would feel about it because it's too emotionally connected for me because when I was a kid, that scared the shit out of me. (laughs) And this is why. And everybody was laughing at me, but it taps into a deep terror for me because who knows what scares a kid when they're a little. A couple years ago, my mom... Took my niece Ruby to see the emoji movie when Ruby was six, and she had a panic attack—not really—and she ran out of the theater in terror because there was a scene where they were going to delete the meh emoji, mm-hmm. and it terrified Ruby, and she had to leave the theater. And did, I remember did she vomit and pass out? No, she did. Actually, I don't know. I should follow up on that. <laughs> I'll get I'll get to her with her entire chart. Okay. I was thinking about it the entire week, and a lot of what terrified me as a kid which i i still get now as an old lady is that this introduced me to new terrors and ways of possibly dying that i had never considered before.
1: Okay.
0: And i never thought about the possibility of touching something natural causing almost instant and agonizing death. And then something else which we can extrapolating on in the next sketch with Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson is the additional terror of seeing your inevitable death in front of you, there's nothing you could do about it, and you stare it down, it stares at you, and you have to make peace with it in a lot of time to deal with the mental mind fuck of it and that terrified me as a child and I get that still to this day so even though I probably agree with you that that sketch is probably nonsense to me I probably watched it three times in the past week because I wanted to really grasp what it was that scared me so much that still kind
2: of scares me that's fascinating yeah right that I that can't is ca- really deep I, I can totally I know, see I'm, I'm it. Pretty
0: fascinating. <laughs>
2: I can totally see it from your perspective, what you're saying there. The third sketch, this one I truly liked. And one reason you can't not mention right away, it stars Leslie Nielsen. And it is not a funny Leslie Nielsen. It is not a serious Leslie Nielsen. It is a murderous psychopath and terrifying psychopath, in my opinion, Leslie Nielsen. Reminding me, this guy is such a good actor. And the story is basically this, Uh, Leslie Nielsen is this older gentleman who has this uh, younger wife and she is having an affair with a young Ted Danson. Leslie Nielsen has captured uh, Ted Danson and long story short he has buried both uh, the wife and his wife's lover up to their head in the sand and then they are to be killed by the tide as it slowly comes in as he thinks he's murdered and gotten revenge on the woman that jilted him and her lover, they come back from the dead and they bury him in the sand. And as the tide comes in, he is inevitably probably going to drown to death. So let me ask you a question. Is Leslie Nielsen supposed to be like a
1: gangster type person? I think so. He seems to be
2: very rich.
1: Yeah, he's very rich and he's murderous. The reason I thought he was a mobster was because when he first like knocks on Ted Danson's door, he says, you know who I am. You're going to let me in. So that kind of made me think of like a mobster. It's someone who has a reputation that you don't fuck with this guy kind of a thing. And I appreciated that he was doing something that is different from what I know Leslie Nielsen for, but it doesn't work for me because I can only see Frank Drebin or the guy from Airplane. Enrico Palazzo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I I can't take him seriously as a psychopathic murderer and that's me. Like I totally understand that, you know, in nineteen eighty two that was before Naked Gun, it was after Airplane, but I guess audiences then could see him and say yeah he's playing a role of a of a murderer sure well
0: he, but, he's known for being a dramatic
2: actor before he was a comedic actor yeah that, yeah exactly. and that's apparently what made uh, Airplane so funny yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for the people yeah. same way that on an Airplane and I don't get it as much but the lady that can uh, translate jive isn't she like from Little House on the Prairie or Leave it to Beaver some very wholesome show so that's a whole joke
1: right and in Nick Naked Gun and Airplane, Leslie Nielsen doesn't tell jokes. He's not smiling. He plays it super straight. And so he's playing it super straight here. I'm just waiting for him to
2: say, like, I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. You know, it, it is hard to take him seriously that way. We had seen this before. So this is almost like, oh, wow, the guy from Creepshow Show is the guy who's Frank Drebin. So I had known him earlier. Got it. The thing about this story that is so terrifying to me, it's not as much supernatural. At the very end, it's a little supernatural. But the first 95% of the story is just a straight-up psycho story. And drowning is something that a child understands. It's also probably one of the most terrifying ways to die is drowning. And... This is not cement shoes and the mob throws you off the bridge and, you know, you have a terrifying uh, 20, 30 seconds before you die. He describes this and you get to slowly watch the tide come in. So that's terrifying enough. You know, it happens over a half hour, an hour, whatever. But then the tide gets to your face and then it eventually covers your whole face and you have to hold your breath until you can breathe again. And then there's gonna be a really long wave and you can only have a little bit. This is gonna take place over 10, 15 minutes. This is absolutely terrifying.
0: The performances and the direction of this scene and a couple of the other scenes are so lovingly done with the details. This isn't CGI. They actually went through this and you could see and you could feel it. And as a kid in the 80s watching this and the thought of spitting sand out of your mouth and the hair in your eye, it's so exactly what you said. It's so terrifying. And it stayed with me all those years. And uh, what did you think about it? So
1: I appreciate what you guys are saying about the terrifying aspect of it. But I couldn't get past a (laughs) couple of things. First was Leslie Nielsen. Second is the fact that he has hooked up on the beach this TV of... The girlfriend who's also drowning and a video camera that's filming Ted Danson as he's drowning that are plugged into...
0: What? Oh, did you see in the back of his Jeep, he had those reels and reels and reels of wire? Yeah, that's what And it was meant to go to comfort station.
1: Okay.
0: And then at the end, you saw that the reason why the picture went out in the middle of Ted Danson looking into the camera saying, I'm going to get you, Richard, is because you saw later the next day Richard come and he finds where the wire was split. And then he just reels it back up. I studied this shit. Don't feel bad you didn't get all these little details.
1: Okay, fine. They're in there. But so Ted Danson is facing the ocean, right? That is how he can see the water. That's what makes it so fucking terrifying. But the video camera is behind him, but the footage that Leslie Nielsen watches in his house is of Ted Danson's face. So how does he have that angle of his face, the only way he could have that angle would be as if the video camera would be in the water, but then that would be knocked over by the tide first and he wouldn't get the cool death footage that he wants. There were just like little details that were taking me out of the scene and making me think, well, that's stupid.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of that in this movie that I think it's suspension of disbelief kind of thing. But I do love the shot where Ted and you see him in agony being... <laughs> and then he just, he whips his head around to the camera, which I think is next to him. But anyway, I get that you couldn't get out of it. I don't think those details are that important. You know, at the end, when the monsters come back, you see the bright flashing red and blue lights on the face out of nowhere. I mean, it's meant to be fantastical,
1: kind of. The red is a theme. Like when Ted Danson is in the water and he's screaming and gurgling and drowning and then he dies and it turns red. And in this movie, red means supernatural. Something supernatural happens now when you see red. His head turns red. Ted's head turns red. And then you know, okay,
2: now he's a zombie. So Ah. Ted's head turns red. Now he's dead. Yeah. And he's become a Zed. No, no, you jammed it. No, Z is Z. In- I get it if you have yeah, to though. explain it.
1: No, no, no. You really shrewded that one. Yeah. So let's move on to the fourth story, okay. which is The Crate. <laughs> And this is about an arctic monster that eats people. And some of the people that it eats are really nice. It's like the nice janitor and the grad student that's working really hard. He just wants to make a good impression and, and, you know, get through grad school. But then it eats like, you know, the annoying wife. So then we like the monster, I guess.
2: Did you recognize that annoying wife, by the way? I didn't at first. I know that she was in Back to School. She's the annoying wife in Back to
1: School. She's also uh, in Escape from New York. She's like um, the girlfriend of Brain, I think. That Hmm.
0: is Adrienne Barbeau. The smoking hot Adrienne Barbeau. And she was my favorite monster of all of Show How great was she? Come on. Oh,
1: she's the monster. I see.
0: Oh, Uh, I see see what what you did there.
2: She's a funny character. I think she's a good actress. And... This premise of the story is that there is this crate underneath the steps in this university and it's labeled from some arctic expedition in 1800s what's kept inside there is a monster. We eventually see it's some kind of like like it big looks fight. like a big baboon looking you know thing with huge teeth. This guy who manages to escape, he tells his friend who has this horrible wife so the friend drugs the professor. He passes out. The friend tells his wife to meet him at the university so that the monster could kill and eat his wife. The wife,
1: before she leaves, grabs a, I think, whiskey and milk? We need to
0: talk about this. I'm so glad you brought it up. I mean... She pours herself a tall glass of milk and leans over the counter as she's reading in voiceover this letter from her husband, unnecessary, completely unnecessary. As she pours a decanter of
1: whiskey into the bourbon, have you ever heard of such a cocktail? The only thing I can think of is a white Russian, which is not the same, but I don't like milk and I don't like bourbon. So the thought of mixing those two things together makes me want to vomit (laughs) and then pass out. Um, (laughs) But... But, um, yeah, that's so gross. It's so disgusting. It is funny the way she keeps that glass with her while driving, while walking into the building, while going down the stairs, you know, to, like, look under the stairs to see the monster. Oh,
0: Henry, what would you do without me? She's so fabulous. I don't even care that that sketch is 15 minutes longer
2: than it needs to be. That's conservative, I would say. (laughs) But okay. (laughs) It's
0: 40 uh, minutes long.
2: So how many minutes longer that should be would you say it is, Al? It could have been five minutes. They really dragged that one out.
0: What do you remember about that sketch? I mean, do you remember liking it, being scared about it?
2: I vaguely remembered most of that. Like the basic premise of all of that And I definitely remember the last final uh, shot when they throw the crate in the ocean, seemingly thinking that they've done a good thing by uh, locking this away so it can't harm anyone else. But crate plus water, it breaks out of the crate, and the last thing you see is it seems to be escaping in the ocean loose. The
1: thing I'll say about this story that is relatable is that the monster, like, goes back into the crate on its own. My dogs like going into their crates. Like, it's just a thing that gives them comfort. Sometimes they'll just wander in there and they like Mm, being in there. It's their safe
0: space. Exactly. This monster just wanted to be left alone. He was fucked with. He didn't provoke shit. Yeah. And I also didn't really remember this sketch too much. I vaguely remembered it as time went on, except Adrian Barbeau's Smoke and Body. That's really the only thing I remember. <laughs> but seriously, it is such a stupid, pointless sketch. It's like a monster that looks like a monkey that keeps eating people that fuck with it. And I really think it was just an exposition, again, Adrian Barbeau. And for Tom Savini's awesome practical effects, every time this monster slashed somebody, it was a beautiful job of The slash marks going through and the blood pouring out. We have to discuss the amazing special effects, practical effects. And Tom Savini
2: is also the garbage man in the bookends of this film. Uh, He's a special effects guy. I mean, I think that baboon looks like a razor-fanged baboon, but I just think it's a stupid design. It should have been more of just a tooth monster or maybe you don't even see it why do you have to see yeah. what the monster is i think that was the big mistake i actually didn't remember that you saw it i remembered at the end you saw its eyes in the ocean that's fine see it's a terrifying yellow eyes it wasn't mysterious it was just a
0: vicious beast and it was not interesting to me
2: i don't know i assume al you were not scared the effect of the monster fine the effect
1: of the monster ripping into like the bodies when it So obviously switches from the actor lying on the ground to the paper mache corpse or whatever that they use to like slash into and like the fake blood comes pouring down. That was laughably bad.
0: Really? What did you think about one of my favorite practical effects of the whole series was Dancing and the woman, zombies coming back from the dead from the ocean. Leslie Nielsen shoots him in the head. It's just kind of watery, blackish blood pours out down his face. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was so perfectly done because if you shoot a zombie in the head who died in the water, what is that secretion gonna look like? And I thought they nailed it with getting exactly how that would look and feel. The close up looks of the waterlogged skin. I didn't look too much at the dummy bodies, but the slashing of the bodies, I don't know. I watched it a bunch of times and when you watch it slowly, I think it's really, really lovingly done. And I also, also think the performances were great. Better than they needed to be.
1: Well, yeah, the acting was fine. The waterlogged zombies are fine because they look like waterlogged zombies. And what do I know what a waterlogged zombie looks like? It looks like... It whenever, looks like that. Yeah, it looks like whatever you show me. But when it's like a person and they switch from like the actual actor to the dummy, that was when I was like, okay, that's pretty bad. That's something you could get away with before HD, Maybe. But there's another dummy in the fifth and final story, which is about the guy who hates bugs. I mean, you see it coming a mile away. He, like, sees one cockroach. He's like, I don't like bugs. And he's, like, yelling at people on the phone and stuff. And you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a million bugs. When the bugs explode out of him, that's also a dummy, obviously. To me, that looks terrible. I think the idea of bugs swarming you is terrifying,
2: The execution kind of left a little to be desired, I think. But those were real cockroaches. They picked an actor that was willing to film that short movie. There's not a lot of actors that are willing to go through that. And I don't think Creepshow paid that well for these actors. So (laughs) I think they deserved hazard pay. I think they deserved to be probably the highest paid of anyone on this film. And they probably weren't. That was where they spent
1: their budget. The cockroaches. Because the cockroaches were, I forget the number, but like... 25 cents, 50 cents per yeah. roach. They needed like 200,000 of them or whatever. And that's where they spent the money on the bugs themselves. So, yeah, the actor who is swarmed by those bugs probably got, you know, a fraction of what the bugs got, which is kind of funny. And, you know, I hate bugs. I think bugs are gross. Cockroaches are the absolute worst i mean they run and they're fast and they can fly and you can't kill them when i lived in the city i remember there was a cockroach in my apartment once and i stomped on it so hard that my roommate came out of her room and was just surprised about like the noise of me stomping it because i was like just trying to kill it, like die 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 they are terrifying so that is also relatable
0: i have uh almost no fears in life except for cockroaches. Cockroaches are my one fear. And I think it may come from this movie because when you were talking about the last shot, I didn't see it because I couldn't watch it because I couldn't watch (laughs) most of this sketch. It's not considered a phobia, but it's definitely a step up from being creeped out. I'm deeply terrified of cockroaches. I can't watch a cockroach, even like a cartoon cockroach on a screen of any kind. It's a very visceral and quick effect. It's very similar to my brother's reaction to snakes.
1: Wait, James, you're afraid of snakes?
2: Or you mean your other brother? I hate snakes.
1: Okay, I did not know that. That's never come
2: up. I I don't talk about my fears to friends that will exploit those fears.
1: (laughs) What do you think I'm gonna do? Show up with a boa constrictor like a Britney
2: Spears? Ooh, that's
1: a good idea, I'm gonna make a note of that. Uh, Thank you, Joanna. One thing about this guy in the apartment who's... uh, Howard Hughes? Yeah, exactly. Basically, he says that he owns the building Mm -hmm. because he's super rich and he's doing business on his telex or whatever, but also he says that it's a $3,200 a month penthouse. So if he owns the building, then who's he paying rent to? Himself? He just
0: had to drop that that's what it's worth. Right? $3,200 for the penthouse in
1: Manhattan. Not I'm, bad.
2: I mean, it still could be a $3,200 a month penthouse, even if he doesn't pay that much. You know, that's what it could be. Sure. Sure.
1: He's also casually racist to the, uh, the guy who's coming to help him with this bug problem. And when I say casually racist, at first he's like, oh, you know, people of color do well in service jobs. And then, you know, once the bugs start swarming, then he calls him a black bastard. So maybe that doesn't
2: qualify as casually racist. It's just plain old racist. Mm hmm. And then there's the bookend story of that boy whose comic book was taken away by his dad in the beginning. These comic books, uh, they would always have these silly, like, x-ray glasses and all these stupid things, voodoo dolls. And this kid, it turns out, he did uh, send away for the voodoo doll. And it was real, and he uses it to hurt his dad. And that's the end of the movie. As a father, I did not care for that ending. You could use the voodoo doll not just against dads, it could be against anyone.
1: Yeah, but the kid used it against his dad because his dad took away his comic book, which he felt was dangerous to his child. He was acting protectively, and then the kid is stabbing a little voodoo doll like a little maniac, like, Dad, take that, Dad. You'll never be able to walk again. That'll show you for throwing away a 99-cent comic book. Baby,
2: that's why they made fathers.
1: It's actually, that's why God made fathers babe. But you were pretty close.
0: Anyway. I know what I'm getting your kids for Hanukkah now. <laughs> voodoo Separate dolls? voodoo dolls. We'll market them as dad dolls. Oh.
2: Voodoo doll. Because <laughs> it's a voodoo ding, doll Ding,
0: ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Get that it,
2: one. I get it. When you have to explain it, though, James, it's not working. I didn't have to explain it. I wanted to explain it because you were already <laughs> laughing. Uh, that's not what I was doing. (laughs) It's not a video podcast, so no one knows what happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think they know. Joanna, you are our very special guest. Let me ask you, do you think that Creepshow stands the test of time?
0: This is the most difficult uh, movie I've ever had to review with you, gentlemen. I'm too emotionally connected to this movie and i don't mean emotionally like it's a dear film to my heart i think it was formative to me and i think in a way that i described earlier with the stephen king sketch just with this movie i feel blinded i can't really see it with the eyes of an adult i don't think i'm capable of seeing it with the eyes of an adult and this is a very strange thing because this has never happened to me really before if i had to answer yes or no i'd probably have to say no even though i love this movie i'm not saying it's good i think aspects of it are brilliant and timeless to me personally to me personally it will always be a movie i revisit i think you can skip it i think if you don't skip it you will have fun you know, looking online and reviews of this movie, the Leslie Nielsen sketch is the most universally loved, if there is one. It's the most appreciated and enjoyed for what it is of the five. And most of the other ones you can skip and never have a thought about again. <laughs> uh, so even though to me it will be a movie I would show to people I care about who I think might be receptive to it, I think ultimately the answer is no, it doesn't stand the test of time, even though I will always love Romero, Stephen King, and Tom Savini
2: fair mm. you know Al, before uh you, you came over joanna was here joanna's like i want to know what al thought and i go oh i know what al thought and uh <laughs> he hated this film he absolutely hated it and how do i know because we've done about 330 something of these episodes and so al what do you think of this movie does 1982's creep show stand the test of time does it al no, of course not.
1: And you knew <laughs> that I hated it. I knew that you knew that I hated it. Yes. We're we're, we're through the looking glass. It's fine. The thing that I was thinking while watching this movie is a reference that you guys will, I think, appreciate. I was thinking back to the very first Treehouse of Horror episode of The Simpsons. That episode ends with The Raven, and after Lisa is done telling the story of The Raven... Bart says, that's not scary, not even for a poem. And Lisa says, well, it was written in 1845. Maybe people were easier to scare back then. That's what I was thinking watching this movie from 40 years ago. Were people just easier to scare back then? Was this supposed to be scary? And as you guys are talking about, like, no, it's not really scary. It's more campy. Okay, fine. I can appreciate camp on that level. But also, this movie is called Creepshow. It's not even fucking creepy. Like, a guy turns into grass. (laughs) A zombie is mad about a baked good. Like, this is not creepy. This is stupid. And Stephen King, if you're listening, I love you. You're better than this. Like, this isn't scary, creepy. You know, like, the thought of drowning and watching the ocean come at you. Sure, I get that. The idea of cockroaches swarming your hermetically sealed apartment yeah okay that's not great but like it's not (laughs) scary it's not creepy it didn't freak me out I will have zero nightmares about it and I think that is the perspective of an adult you know I'm sure if I had seen it as a kid I would feel differently like you do Joanna but just coming in fresh as a 43 year old I was rolling my eyes and laughing at it not laughing with it because I was supposed to, laughing at like, oh my god, this is so stupid. Yeah, he's grass now, okay. Moss. I, fine, whatever. <laughs> Space moss. Space moss, all right, cool. I just, I just found this movie laughably bad. No, it does not stand the test of time. Thank you
2: for doing exactly as I predicted. To ow Uh, Joanna was like, oh, but isn't he going to like this? Nope, he's not going (laughs) to like that either. (laughs) What did you think I was going to like?
0: I thought that the Ted Danson one at least is like... No.
1: You know what? Honestly, if that sketch had ended after Ted Danson drowned, before he turned all red and then the supernatural thing happened... It would have been a lot scarier, in my opinion. I understand why you thought the waterlogged zombies were terrifying. I get that. But at that point, it was so predictable. And then he's watching the footage, and then the fog creeps in, and all of his security systems go on the fritz. Oh, I wonder what it is. Okay, you know, like, I know it's going to happen. It takes 10 minutes for it to happen. If it had ended there, I think it would have been much stronger. But, James, what did you think about the movie? Do you think it stands the test of time?
2: I really do like the design of this film. We've talked about this before with movies like Ang Lee's Hulk. He tried to make it into literally a comic book and I don't think it was as successful. I think this one is pretty successful at at actually showing those Technicolor 1950s comic books on on the screen. Um, I think I've been pretty clear about what my opinions of these sketches are. Father's Day, it was so bad, I forgot it existed. Um, The second one, there's one part in in that sketch where he sees that the plant is on his fingers and he has this fantasy of he's going to go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, I'll amputate those fingers and it's terrifying. That is what I feel like Half my patients see uh, the way they see me every day. The way they look at me, it's like the nine or the twelve month olds. They're laughing with daddy and then and mommy and then they'll turn around and they see me and they give this dirty look. And I, I want to say one more thing about the Stephen King uh, sketch. I did really like the. Very, very end that I totally forgot about. After he kills himself, you see this epilogue that it seems to imply that this plant is gonna take over the earth mm-hmm. and like it's just not gonna stop and it's gonna grow on people. And you, you didn't notice that at the end? Of? Yeah, I noticed it. But climate change will take care of that. Exactly,
1: <laughs> we'll kill it. Don't you worry. Don't yeah, worry.
0: But this yeah, was a yeah, very. Right. It was sci-fi.
2: This was the one outlier. It was a sci-fi thing. You yeah. know, I will say uh, that third sketch. I think that's a great sketch, and I think, Al, you are exactly right. Had they knocked off the sci-fi element of it at the end, I think it would be, I'd say, pretty perfect. Because one thing we didn't even mention uh, was that they brought these cameras out, but they also brought a television out. He had to watch the woman he loves drown, and she drowned very Painfully, Like, she was a few minutes ahead of him with the tide, so he got to watch her actually die. So, you nailed it, Al. Had they just cut out the last five minutes of that sketch, a perfect sketch. The way it is, I still think it's a good sketch. The crate, I think, is fine. I do think it's probably a little too long. But the last film, it, it, it surprisingly holds up in that the special effects are, you know, that they're just cockroaches. The guy at the end is a dummy, but I didn't really mind that that much. But I actually thought that was the one that was most crazy creepy like ew bugs but it wasn't scary overall the thing is there's one sketch out of five that's good another sketch that's, that's decent another is eh, and two that are pretty bad so you know i just think the math doesn't hold up and, and you know the creep show does not hold up so over three
1: yeah well thank you joanna for coming back on i didn't love the movie but it's always good talking with you it's always good to hang thank you for coming back on the show James, the last time your sister was here, a year ago, you said that you were going to get her her five-timers hoodie sweatshirt. The look on your face right now is kind of telling me that you forgot again. Did you forget again, James?
2: I did get you a sweatshirt.
0: I'm going on strike. This will be my last appearance, unless I I have a five-timers hoodie and a six-timers hoodie. Fuck you both.
1: Fuck us both. That's not fair. You are his sister. I don't know who's in charge of the Department of Sweatshirts. I was. And then James said that he was going to take care of you one year ago, over a year ago, when you were here for UHF, and he failed. I am shocked, except I'm not at all shocked. I knew you were going to do it. And Joanna. <gasps> oh, <my> God. <laughs> I love that reaction. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh wait,
0: where's my six timers hoodie? Oh Here, my god, yay!
1: There is your five timers <gasps> hoodie that you got for the sixth time. James, you should be ashamed of
2: yourself. <laughs> Joanna, I hope you like your hoodie. I should be ashamed of myself. But I'm not. What? What? Where's this going? What? I said I did not get you a sweatshirt, but... Oh my God, you guys. I got you for the very first time the test of time six-timers club (laughs) t-shirt. Oh my God. God. That font is
1: wrong, though. I do feel like I need to point that out. But <laughs> that is really funny. Like, look at how clear the picture is of you guys. Wow wear that with
0: we pride like unfuck you both of you i apologize
2: <laughs> you were very quick to anger i uh, there. spoke
0: it too soon uh, that was a long con though
2: that was about a year in the making so i knew exactly what was going to happen and it went exactly as i planned i will say i did not expect you to have
1: anything i really expected you to 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 james it once again and forget but good for you. I can be happy that you didn't. And you deserve a five-timers hoodie and a six-timers t-shirt for James's fuck-up. Joanna, thank you for coming back. I hope you will come back again for a seventh time, which, to be clear, you will get nothing. Please, can I have
0: at least, like, a, a tank top or something no. for my troubles? Okay.
1: No. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to continue with the uh, nepotism, I guess. Special guest, Courtney Noah, my wife, is going to join us to talk about elections. The midterm elections are coming up. It seemed like an appropriate movie. Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon. That'll be a fun one. Until then, of course, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at Podcast at gmail.com and we hope you all have a
2: spooky and creepy Halloween. This is James Brewery saying goodbye. Happy Halloween. <laughs>